And, uh, of course, many of you that are regulars around here, you know the Richardson family. We're thankful that they have connected to our church. And, uh, of course, it started with Roche. Once she came to college, their daughter, she came first. And then a few years later, Brother Jared came to college, and they have uh, stayed a part of this. And so we are connected to the kids. And by, by that, we get to be connected to Sister Paula and Brother Chris Richardson's missionaries for 26 years to the nation of Madagascar and uh, he said he started when he was 13 and it's been an <laughs> incredible that was a joke um, thank you um, his grandfather and grandmother started that work in Madagascar and this is the third generation to be a part of that it's one of the most incredible outstanding uh, fields in global missions right now and I want him to come they're here. They were have been on deputation this year uh, here in the States, raising up their budget so that they can go back. And uh, they had already uh, seen a great portion of that raise, but at this general conference through the IM Global Missions offering that was taken, they're 100% funded and ready to go back. Absolutely. And we'll see him a few more times before they leave here in November, but I wanted him to come and have an opportunity this morning to speak to us, to preach to us. Could we welcome Brother Richardson and Sister Richard in Jesus' name? Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning, to be able to gather together and lift up the one that truly is worthy of all praise? Amen. Your past is under his blood. Amen. And your future is in his hands. If only you'll leave it there. If only you'll let him guide you and take care of your life, then your future is sure. And that's what I want to speak about this morning, about us looking towards our future and asking you, where is your future? What is in store for you in your future? What does your future hold for you? Amen. You may be seated. I'll read some scriptures throughout, but I won't start with a scripture text. Now, when service is over, if you want to come and talk to us, I'm not really going to do much about Madagascar today. Maybe we'll have another opportunity to do that before we leave. But I do just want to preach. But we did bring some leftover items from General Conference, and they are back there in the back. If you want to stop by and pick something up from that, we would definitely appreciate that. Don't want to have to carry those back to Madagascar. That's where they came from. So trying to get rid of them and, and all of that. We got some good deals on the, the leather stuff. I've got those marked down, and some of the other stuff are marked down. Some it's already as cheap as I can let it go, but... Uh, just stop back by there and just clear that out, and we'll appreciate that. Now, if you were able to know what was going to happen before it actually happened, how would you use that knowledge? What would you do with that knowledge? Would you use it to make yourself rich? If you knew that a specific investment would give you a lot of money, would you invest in it? If you knew that the winning lottery numbers what they were going to be would you play the lottery would you use that knowledge to help those in need if you knew that someone was going to be in trouble and needed help would you rush to help them would you become a hero if you knew someone was in danger and would die would you be there to prevent that from happening what would you do if you knew what was going to happen tomorrow? 
Some people are obsessed with the idea of trying to learn the future. They peer into crystal balls, they read tea leaves, they follow their horoscopes. But in reality, none of us knows what the future here on this earth is for each of us. Solomon talks about this several times in the book of Ecclesiastes. The first one I want to read is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse number 7. It says, Since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? If you ask somebody next to you what is your future, how do they know to tell you what your future is? They don't even know their own. Well, there is an answer to his question. Who can tell him what is to come? Well, God can. In fact, God is the only one who really knows the future. In fact, he's already in the future. Our God is not bound by time. He is in the past. He is in the present. He is in the future. He is the one who created time. Time is in him. He is not in time. As far as we're concerned, our future and our life upon this earth is uncertain. So if life is uncertain and we cannot really know what will happen to us, how do we face our future? What should we do? Well, God has given us some answers to this question, and I hope to share those with us, just a portion of it. There's no way to go into the full depth of this subject in the amount of allotted time that we have today. It would take weeks to properly study this subject. But I just want to give us some things that God tells us not to do and some things that God tells us to do. And by not doing and by doing, it makes our future more sure. Three things God tells us not to do. Well, the first one is found in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse number 1. Proverbs 27 and 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. So the first thing he tells us to do is don't be presumptuous about tomorrow. The scripture we read, it says do not boast. That word boast is you know, kind of, you just put that in everyday vernacular. Don't go around being all cocky about what your plans are for tomorrow and next week or next year because life is uncertain. You may not even be around that long. So do not be presumptuous. I'm afraid that most of us probably are just a little bit presumptuous. For example, we're presumptuous whenever we do something without praying about it. We're presuming that we will be here to do it. We're also presuming that we will have the strength and the ability and the brain power to do it. And we're being a little bit presumptuous thinking that it may actually be God's will for us to do that. Don't be presumptuous. When we pray about it and we're searching God's will and guidance in the matter and asking for his blessing upon it, it's good. But too often we just presume about tomorrow by not praying about what we're planning on doing want your future to be sure don't be presumptuous don't boast about it and don't just take it for granted the second thing we'll find in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 34 do not worry 
about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself or put it in other words don't panic about tomorrow don't get all worked up about tomorrow got plenty to worry about today got plenty to do today tomorrow has enough of its own worries and enough of its own things that you have to face so don't get too worked up about it now we plan for tomorrow we we try to do the right things and in, in looking towards our future but don't let it just consume you that you become completely worried about it fortunately we do serve a loving and a merciful God he doesn't unload everything on us all at once just think just in in the lives that we've lived and for the younger here you know you haven't had as many years on earth but even for the younger here if you've if God was to put upon you all at one time everything that you have faced up until this point in life he placed it all on one one moment he put all of that on you did you handle it no you couldn't take it all at once but he gives life to us in bite-sized pieces we have 24-hour segments one day of time in fact that's broken down even further we've got minutes we've got seconds and we have to live in the now the past is gone the future is still coming we can't live in tomorrow we can't live in yesterday all we can do is live in the right now live your life as it comes one day at a time someone wrote it this way life by the yard is hard but life by the inch is much easier third one God tells us not to do is do not procrastinate Ecclesiastes 11 and 4 says he who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap one other translation says it this way if you wait for perfect conditions you'll never get anything done you wait for it all to be just right you'll never get it done now we are getting ready to enter into the month of October that means nine months of this year has come and gone if you would look back to December 31st of last year and then going into January 1st of this year I'm sure there's probably those among us in this place that you probably made a few resolutions I'm going to do this you know in this allotted amount of time and I'm going to accomplish this and that and everything else but now that we're starting to near in fact it's running at us at full speed near the end of this year have you accomplished what you said you would do you still have time to get it done Maybe the opportune time has already passed and you can't do it anymore. Someone wrote it this way. Procrastination is my sin. It only brings me sorrow. I know I ought to change my life and I will tomorrow. So three things. If we want to make our future sure, three things that we do not do what God tells us 
not to do. And like I said, there's so many more things on this subject you could look at, but do not presume, don't be presumptuous. Do not panic, don't be filled with worry. And do not procrastinate, don't put off until tomorrow that which you should be doing today. Now there's another three things that God tells us to do. Dressing this in threes, like I said, plenty, plenty more that we could we could go into. But in addition to those three things, we have three things that God tells us to do. And are you ready to consider those as well? Well, we can find them in the first chapter of the book of Joshua. Here's the scene: God has freed the children of Israel from the Egyptian slavery they were in, but because of their their, their disobedience, their lack of faith and belief in God. They've been wandering around a wilderness for 40 years. Moses has just died, and now it's Joshua's turn to lead the, the people. The older and the disobedient generation is gone, and now we have a younger generation that's ready to do what God has told them to do in order to enter the promised land. They are on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Across that river on the other side, there, there's the promised land. That's that's where they're headed to. Joshua knows that once they enter into the promised land, they will be facing at least seven enemy nations. These are strong nations with trained armies, fortified cities, well equipped, far better equipped with weapons than this young army of Joshua's. And then we wonder, why is Joshua uneasy? He's facing a seemingly impossible situation. So God appears to him and gives him three things. Joshua, let me tell you three things that you need to do. And if you do those three things, I guarantee you will have success. So let's take a look at those and consider maybe God is still telling us to do those things in our life, our future, that's full of uncertainty if we do them, then maybe God will be with us as well and bring us victory and success. First one I want to look at, Joshua chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to you, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses so God's telling them get ready I want you to have the land it's it's for you I've already promised this land but the first thing that you need to do is this plan that I have you've got to put it in motion before you can do that there's something you have to do you gotta let go of the past Moses is gone. He's dead. He was God's chosen person, chosen man to free the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He was the one God called to the top of Mount Sinai and is the one that received the Ten Commandments and the law, all the plans from God. Moses was God's man of the ages. But now, Joshua has to fill his shoes. Should I say sandals? Joshua has to take his place. Can you imagine the fear, the trepidation that Joshua must have felt? 
So God comes to Joshua and he says, Joshua, here, listen to me. That's near, son. Moses is dead. I'm not. I'm still here. You're not dead. You're still here. I have a plan for your life. And I have a plan for my people. So let us get on with the plan. Verses 10 and 11 says, So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people, Get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Get ready. A plan is in place. Now it's time to put it into action. Proverbs 16 and 9 says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Our plans are good, but if we're not following his plan and his guidance the way that he has for us, it will only end in disappointment and potential failure. Another translation said that one is this. You should make your plans, counting on God to direct you as you make them. When we make plans asking God to give us direction, that's wisdom. When we make plans without taking God into consideration, that is the opposite. That's foolishness. So do not presume, do not panic, do not procrastinate, but instead seek God's direction and set His plan for your life into motion. The second thing God tells Joshua to do, we can find in verse number 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be very careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Now, I made a big boo-boo on this one in Malagasy one time. I was preaching. Fortunately, it was just a preacher's conference, and not everybody was there, but I was using, I was preaching in Malagasy, and I used the word without paying a whole lot of attention to what I said. I, I replaced what should have been an A. I used an I instead. Otherwise, the word was completely the same, but it should have been Ma Tanzaha, and I did Mi Tanzaha. I wondered why the guys were laughing and all of that, and I, you know, I just kept right on preaching, but when I finished, I sat down, I'm like, what did I say? Pretty big difference in the meaning of those words. The one says, be strong. The other one says, get naked. I don't think the Lord was telling them to strip down and go. It would take a lot of courage to get naked. But God is saying, Joshua, I am guaranteeing that you will have success if you'll be careful to obey all the law. And the way to do that is to not turn from it to the left or to the right, 
just keep going forward in other words don't be di distracted don't be sidetracked now as Christians today we can also be sidetracked in fact it's way too easy to be sidetracked unfortunately for way too many surely there's none of those here today church is kind of it's something that's extra our lives are not built around church but it's built around our job our wants our bank account our hobbies maybe you got a promotion on your job and suddenly you're so busy you don't have time for word of God you don't have time to pray you don't have time to be in God's house with God's people maybe you have some hobby not that the hobby itself is bad but it consumes you it takes up all your time so that you no longer have time for God maybe it's a relationship and you're spending too much time with that person whether it be as a boyfriend girlfriend or whether it just be as a friend they consume your time and no longer do you have time for God but as he continued telling Joshua in verse number 8 says do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful we want that last part we want to be prosperous we want to have success but the key to prosperity and success and actually the way to look at prosperity and success is not in the normal sense of how we would as a natural human being but we need to look at it the way God looks at it if we don't let the Word of God depart from our mouth and if we meditate on it and if we're careful to follow what it says then we will be prosperous now did you notice there there were three different things that God told Joshua to talk about it don't let the Word of God depart from your mouth it's not enough just to read the word but we need to talk about it discuss it learn it that's why we have Sunday school classes that why we have uh, Bible study groups Christian people need to talk to each other about what it, God is teaching us how many times do we get together and talk about the latest iPhone I pre-ordered talk about the latest car talk about you know whatever it might be maybe it's knitting for someone that's scrapbooking quilting mechanics flying I don't know it is an unlimited number of subjects that can be discussed portillos hallelujah we, we talk about things that really when you look at it and if you're brutally honest with yourself and you realize it doesn't matter important doesn't mean a hill of beans whatever that means 
But what we need to spend some time together talking about is God's Word. When's the last time you got together with believers just like yourself and you spent time talking about God's Word? Not nearly enough of that happening these days. Time could be spent where we encourage one another in a small group type setting in someone's living room sitting around a Starbucks table out in the park talk about what God has done in my life I I look at it this way you cannot benefit from what God is doing in my life if I don't tell you and I cannot benefit from what God is doing in your life if you don't tell me so it's important for us to talk about what God is doing in our lives and something that we found as we read God's word that just jumped out and maybe the person you're talking to they saw that decades ago you just now realized what it was trying to say that's okay because as you share it it may be be a fresh revelation once again to someone who already heard it before powerful secondly God says think about it don't just talk about it think about it meditate on it day and night now the word meditation has fallen on hard times because when we think about meditation our mental pictures someone sitting there cross-legged home And that's meditation. Doing whatever they're doing. But meditation is actually a good biblical word. You want to understand what it is? Well, let me put it this way. Worry is negative meditation. That's where you're overthinking something and you're looking at the bad side of it and you're worried about it. You're thinking about it. It's meditation. You're, th- you're thinking about it. You're dwelling on that subject constantly in your mind, and it's all the bad, and what if this, and what if that, and oh, ready to pull your hair out, ready to go live out in isolation somewhere because you're so f- afraid. But positive meditation is thinking about what God can do and how God can work in your life. And so God tells Joshua, he says, Talk about it, but also think about it. I've seen some people when they talk, their mouth is going, but their brain is in park. It's it's not working at all. Somehow they're still rolling. Talk about it, but also think about it. But then he said, do it. Put it into practice. Practice. Be be careful to do everything that's written in the Word. Talk about it, think about it, and then do it. Take the teachings and the principles out into the world and live them every day. We're pretty good about telling people what they need to do, but are we pretty are we any good at about doing what we tell others to do? practice what we preach can we live the life that we claim we live 
Actions speak louder than words. Someone said this, sin will keep you from reading the Bible. But reading the Bible will keep you from sin if you follow it. There's plenty here that have enough knowledge. You've heard it enough times. You've been told time after time again what you should do, what you shouldn't do. But where it lacks is in fulfillment and following through with it. Think about it, or talk about it, think about it, but do it. And that brings us to the third main point. God told Joshua, step out in faith. I like that because we need to understand that faith, really it's an action word. We use faith too many times as a, a noun, but it's really more than that. It's, it's action. Faith is not passive. It's not enough just to sit around and say, faith is what I believe. Belief and faith are two different things. They're closely related, but they're not the same thing. If I say that I believe an airplane can fly, but I never get on an airplane, do I really believe it? If I say that I think, you know, that chair can hold me, but I never sit down. And there's been some chairs that I don't want to sit down because my faith in that chair is not very high. I know that if I sit on it, it's I'll end up on the floor, especially after being in the States for about nine months of deputation. I don't exhibit faith until I actually do something. I move. So I can say I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but Satan also believes that. Faith is not real until it is active. As you commit your life to Jesus Christ and say, not only do I believe in you, Lord, but I trust my life into your hands and I will go where you lead me, that's when it becomes faith kind of a commitment that God was looking for from Joshua. He said, between him and the promised land, there's a river. And it's at the full flood stage. And Joshua, Joshua was afraid. How is Joshua going to make it from the wilderness to the promised land, crossing this mighty river? Well, obviously, he's not going to be able to accomplish that on his own. So how's God going to do it? Notice that God said three times, be strong, not get naked. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. Joshua 1 and 9, translation I'm using says, don't be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you you go conquer fear conquer discouragement and go forward notice the words afraid and discouraged those are two of Satan's most valuable tools fear discouragement fear will keep you in your desert do you realize that the Israelites could have traveled from Mount Sinai where they received 
the Ten Commandments and the law of God to the promised land and been in the promised land within three weeks. But it took them 40 years because they were caught in the grip of fear. They sent some spies in. The spies went in and looked and said, yes, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. They brought a cluster of grapes that it took two men to carry. Wow, I'd like to see that. But then they also said the, the inhabitants of that land, they're all giants. We're like little grasshoppers in their sight. And fear spread through the camp. And because of fear, they wandered the desert for 40 years. When you will try to move against your fear, the next thing that will happen is Satan will unleash discouragement. Now, there's an example. Moses led the Israelites to the Red Sea. God opened up the waters for them, and they crossed on dry land. You remember the tremendous story. The moment Moses lifted his staff, the waters parted and were heaped up on both sides, and the people crossed on dry land. But that's not what was going to happen here. Joshua didn't step forward and hold up a staff and the waters part and dry land appear and they walk across. But read it in Joshua chapter 3 beginning with verse number 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during all the harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge and step into the water, the water from upstream stopped flowing piled up in a heap a great distance away. So let's picture this scene. And I may portray it just a little bit different than what you've thought about it in the past. God's commanded them to go and step into the water before he's going to do his thing. Got to take a step. But as soon as their feet touch the water, God stopped the flow of the water. priest stepped out and the water's ankle deep they take another step now it's knee deep they take another step now it's waist deep they take another step now it's chest deep wait a minute I thought he stopped the water he did upstream a long way away the water from that point on still had to flow for a while to get past them. And so they took several steps into the water before they started to see the water levels recede and go down. God's doing something, but you may not see it immediately. And when you don't see it immediately, the devil's going to discourage you. See, he's not with you. He's not helping you. You're on your own. But God is moving. How far does God expect us to go before He does something? But what we don't realize, He's already done it. We just haven't seen it yet. Now we've got a situation going on right now for Madagascar. Uh, 
our sound system there is not nearly enough to cover what we need for the, the amount of people we have, but also our electricity is not really all that good to handle much more. So we're looking at trying to get a generator that's you know, a nice big one to get back over there. And the pastor talked to me, said there's someone in their church that works for a company that makes generators. And so they're going to see what they can do if we couldn't even actually get one donated or not. He talked to me at conference. He said, looks like we may actually get a 50,000-watt generator given to us that has just been sitting in the warehouse for two years. They made this generator for some company, and something about the configuration that they had done, it was not what the company needed. I don't know if it's a single phase, and they needed three phase, or three phase needed single. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, something was not right. It's a perfectly working generator, but it just wasn't the configuration that they needed. So they had to remake it. And this generator has been sitting unused, untouched, for two years in the warehouse. And it looks like they're just waiting on the final sign-off to give that generator to us. We just started on this just a few months ago trying to pursue this, but God already had it in plan two years ago. Now, how many times in our life does this happen? And just because we don't see it, boom, right that very second, we think God's not doing something. But He's already working. And even though you haven't witnessed it yet, He has a plan. If only you'll stay strong and courageous and keep going forward. He tests our faith. So you said, wait a minute, preacher. As soon as their feet touched the water, He stopped the water. Yes, He did. But it piled up upstream. The moment their feet priest's feet touched the water God did his thing when they took that step of faith and there's some here today you know you need to take a step a step of faith a new commitment a step not knowing really the future your future's unsure but I will tell you if you'll put your, st your faith in Jesus and take a step into him there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to be afraid of. I'm not saying everything's going to be easy in this life. No, it's not. You're going to face battles. You're going to face difficult situations. But when you step out in faith in Jesus Christ, at least your future is sure. Eternity is taken care of. That's the point I'm trying to make. Steps of faith are many times the hardest and even though God may have already done his thing, he keeps expecting us to keep stepping out, getting deeper and deeper before we see the result. God's already defeated sin. It's just a matter of time. The devil is like a roaring lion, but he's not the lion. Jesus is the lion of Judah. He's some fake lion. You took off his costume. He's not a big lion. His roar has been amplified. But really, he's just a little bit kitty cat. Jesus already won the victory on Calvary. And while we may be still standing knee-deep in water, 
waiting for the effect of his miracle to take place in our life, in our world. The day will come. We will see the victory. We will see it come to pass. And as he said, Paul says in Romans 4, 13, I can do all things. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Through Jesus Christ, he's the one that gives me strength. And through him, I can do it all. No, I, I can't do it all. The only way it can happen and the way, only way it will, will, will take place and the only way I'll see it is in him. And through him, through Jesus, I can do all things. I can master every circumstance and come away victorious if my faith and my trust is in Jesus Christ. Only through him will I see victory. So there's some things not to do. There's some things to do. But most importantly, where is your faith? Friend, that's how we face the future. Life is filled with ifs. But if you face the future and you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, if you seek his plan for your life, if you stay in his word, if you step out in faith to do what pleases him, then there is no need whatsoever to be full of fear and doubt and discouragement. But your future is sure. 